Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Big things I say are keep the two separate and then use a title company or an attorney or an escrow service for the transfer of the funds and the option deposit. Before we get into today's episode, I want to offer you a free service and a free gift. Yes, a free gift. You're a loyal best ever listener. You deserve free gifts. And it's from our best ever partner, Secure Pay One, the landlord helper. So are you a landlord or investor who's self-managing? Well, if you're self-managing, is that the best way to scale your business? And are you fulfilled by self-managing or would you rather be doing other stuff with your time? Like, I don't know, scaling your business, scaling your portfolio, making more money, bringing more rentals, rental income coming in because you're acquiring more properties. If you want to scale, if you're not getting fulfilled by self-managing, then here comes the free service. Here comes the free gift. Linda Libatory, you know her, episode 714 I interviewed her about her best ever advice, talked to her about her company, which is the solution to your problem, Secure Pay One, the landlord helper. They handle the phone calls, they handle the rent collections, they handle late payment reminders, they handle the lease violation notices, everything from the text messages, reminders, all the way to collecting the ACH payments. Linda's team will help you scale your business, whether you got 500 units or even a handful of units, go to mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. That's mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. They're going to give you a free 30-minute goal strategy session. They'll give you free setup and the first 30 days free, mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Again, if you are self-managing and you're not fulfilled by self-managing and you agree that there's a better way to scale your business, scale your investments, then go to mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Take Linda and her team up on their generous offer of giving you a trial and a strategy session to see if it's right for you. mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any fluff. We've spoken to Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and a whole bunch of others with us today. Jesse Mills, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing great, man. How are you doing? I'm doing great as well. Nice to have you. A little bit about Jesse. He is a senior mortgage advisor. He's a real estate investor and he's a consultant at American Mortgage and Equity Consultants. 
From the age of 14, he was knocking on hundreds of doors starting his first business, which was Mills Lawn Care. And he is based in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So with that being said, Jesse, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Absolutely. So the probably last 14 or 15 years, I've been in the residential mortgage business and finance and got into real estate investing about six years ago. And it's been a pretty cool journey to be on kind of both sides of it. You know, you, you find a lot of people that are, doing loans and mortgages and financing, and they don't really do much on the actual real estate side. They just help people get financing. And then others are on the real estate side but really don't know any of the rules on the mortgage side. And so kind of got into some different niches with it where I'm able to take both sides of the businesses and the knowledge and kind of start creating my own passive income and then helping others do the same. Combining those two niches what are some competitive advantages that you have based on your areas of expertise? My first kind of foray, I got into real estate investing almost a little backwards what some people do. A lot of people take kind of the wholesale approach that say, no money, no credit. Hey, that's me, right? And that kind of gets them into the game. I was already doing loans. I know how the rules worked. And for some reason, I missed the boat. Maybe it was a good thing, right? A lot of my friends and colleagues and partners just jumped all over it pre-crisis and got a ton of places and they lost them all. Everybody was doing it kind of the wrong way, all banking 100% on appreciation, not on cash flow, and lost it. Well, I started kind of scooping up places after everything had died down and it got a lot tighter to get properties. But first few deals I did were multifamily properties that I purchased and then started kind of hearing about lease options, rent to own followed people like Wendy Patton, Joe McCall, and I said, wow, this is pretty cool. I didn't realize that you could make money doing this, and I was running into those people, people who can't get financing, can't get a loan, but really wanted a home. And so I just kind of really dipped my toes in the water the first couple of years and said, hey, I'm running across these people every once in a while that I have to shoot down when everyone else said they would go see who is in my position as a loan officer, just shooting them down, saying, sorry, come back and see me in a couple of years. And then I kind of had this new arrow in the quiver. I'm like, hey, I can still help you get a house. I can't do a loan today. And that really kind of got me into the lease option world. And that's been kind of my niche for the last five or six years now. Okay. I want to spend the majority of time talking about those lease options since that's what you're focused on and have been for the last six years. But I do want to ask about your multifamily deals. You said that was your first couple were multifamily deals. Will you elaborate? One of the first places that I got was a fourplex with FHA financing. Lived there for probably a year, year and a half or so. And honestly, anyone who's looking to get into investing, buy and hold, and have their own place, I'll tell you, number one, do it while you're young and probably not married, you know, <laughs> maybe three kids if you can. <laughs> Not a lot of wives are out there saying, God, I would love to have three neighbors right above us and below us and share the yard with everybody. Isn't that sexy? At least my wife wants the yard and wants our own yard and all that good stuff. But that's one of the smartest moves you can make. And from a financial side, you can buy a fourplex with 3.5% down if you're going to live there and help qualify basically the rental income of the other folks. So that's what I did. Then we acquired a townhome and did kind of the normal financing really for the first few deals until I discovered lease options, rent to own. And then since then, I've done a bulk of my lease option deals have been wholesaling lease options and flipping them for a quick profit. 
and then a few I've retained and done some sandwich deals on, a couple I'm in the middle on right now. And from a financer perspective, too, we can talk about this, which is kind of cool, but I even like to purchase on a CD or a contract for deed and then resell on a lease option, and there's some good benefits that way that not everybody does. Let's talk about that because I think I just got confused, and perhaps some other best ever listeners did as well, as far as purchasing on a contract for deed and reselling on a lease option. Will you just slowly walk through a specific example? Absolutely. One deal, it's a great kind of statement deal because the lead source was not where you would guess. I got it from an attorney. So everyone else is out there digging in the same holes and fishing in the same ponds, Craigslist, Zillow, and online, and bandit signs. I find, especially through a lot of the kind of coaching that I do now and working with other investors around the country, not a lot of people are using their own network. And I advise everybody, get your own attorney, get a local attorney, even if you're buying boilerplate contracts and templates, and of course, have it checked out. So I developed a good relationship with my real estate attorney, and he said, hey, Jesse, I've got a deal for you. It's a client, and she's looking to unload her place. She's on the West Coast and doesn't want her place here anymore. It's free and clear, which was uh, even better. And so I negotiated with her to buy it on a contract for deed. And I knew, based on the area of town that this was in, it's in one of the probably top three areas of our market, great schools, great neighborhoods, and you could fill it really quick. So I purchased it on a CD, ten grand down. What does buying it on a contract for deed mean? Contract for deed, or in other parts of the country, a land contract. You have a contract for the deed. So essentially, it's seller financing. It's another way of saying seller financing. Okay. So I paid the owner every month, right? She was the bank to me. And the beautiful thing with seller financing is, you know, it's whatever the heck you want it to be. <laughs> yep. When people say, well, what's the going rate on this? What's the going term? It's whatever the heck you want it to be. Yep. It's whatever's a win-win situation for all parties involved. But just from the finance side, and this is kind of where my expertise really helps out, is there's reasons to buy something on a contract for deed. There's reasons to buy something on a lease with an option of purchase. There's reasons to be a tenant. There's reasons to be the owner on a CD. So on a contract for deed or land contract, you have equitable titles. So you're on the tax records. You're fully responsible for everything, but you're also able to then sell it, lease it, get financing on it to do whatever. And after 12 months of being on title, at least these are the current rules, things are always changing, as you know, in the mortgage world. But once you're on title for 12 months, then if you want to go buy it, it's actually a refinance. So let me give you this example. I bought it from this woman for $260,000. I knew at the time it was worth probably two ninety to three hundred. If I purchased it from her on a lease option or a rent-to-own, even if it was worth three hundred grand, and I went to go get financing out it and put it in my name and get a mortgage, then when I go to buy it, I still need to come up with that minimum down payment based on what I was buying it for, which would have been the two sixty minus the ten k I put down. But because I bought it on a contract for deed, twelve months in one day, I can now say, hey, I want to refinance this. And then they will go in and appraise it and say, hey, it's worth 290 or say 300. And they'll say, but you're only buying it for 260 and you already put 10K down. So you're like, oh, 250 and it's worth 300 or 290. So I would already have equity in the ballgame. So that's one thing a lot of people don't pay attention to when they're looking at a lease option rent down is sure it gets you in the door with little to no money down, 
but you still have to come up with money at some point prior to your lease expiring and your option ending to get financing. And if you're not going to live there, it's going to be an investor loan. So you're going to have to have 20% down. I mean, between 15 and 25, depending on how many units it is. So in this scenario, I can put it in my name. I negotiated, I think, a three- or four-year contract for deed on it. But I've already got equity in it as we speak now, which is great. Mm -hmm. So within about three to four weeks, I got a new tenant buyer in there who gave me 10 grand down. So now I'm back to zero, and my payment is about 1100 a month to the seller, and I collect about 1800 a month from the tenant buyer. So you're making a spread on a monthly basis as well. Exactly. So it's a great sandwich deal. And again, I could have bought it on a rent to own and then flipped it and did a sandwich. I should say flip it, right? But it'd be a sandwich. But I wanted it on a contract for deed. So that way I could come in and refinance it, put it in my name and already have some equity when I want. Plus for the seller, she was more inclined to do the deal on a contract for deed because in her mind, it felt like it was really more sold. Whereas on a lease option, she's still the landlord. And that's the cool thing is when you start to really understand the difference with the contract for deed slash land contract and the lease option, you can really tailor your presentation however you need to. Because I've had people say, no, 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 I'm not going to do that, but I'll do a rent down. Okay, fine. <laughs> no, 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 I'm not going to do that, but I'll do a contract for deed, but only that. Okay, fine. <laughs> or you can call it almost the same thing. Now, there's definitely some differences with the contracts and with taxes and insurance and tax deductions, but from a 30,000-foot view, it's very, very similar. What are the risks involved for you on that type of structure? Again, on a sandwich deal, and sandwich deals are awesome when you come across them. More often than not, we've found people who just don't have as much equity, and so we've done more of a lease options flip or assignment. But on a sandwich deal like that, no matter what, whether the property is vacant or not, whether it's damaged or destroyed, right, i got to keep paying her. If I go, let's say, two years and I'm paying the, the true owner who's on the other side of the country and all of a sudden I have an empty house and I go, oh, I can't pay you anymore, and I just up and leave or stop paying her, she can cancel the contract, similar to a foreclosure, but it's actually technically called a cancellation of contract. Then I would have 60 days to get that back to being current and pay again, or I'm done. And I would lose every dollar of equity that I had. So again, it's like getting foreclosed on on a normal property. But I bought it knowing there was equity. I bought it knowing there was cash flow and there's a spread. And even if these tenant buyers didn't work out, and I've developed a pretty cool system for screening tenant buyers, our average success rate for our team of folks buying is close to 70, 75%. And I know the industry average, I don't know if there's numbers all over the place, but it's 40 to 50, is what a lot of folks say. And I know why that is, because <laughs> most people don't know what the hell they're doing when it comes to credit or why somebody can't buy and the reasoning behind it. So that's why we now kind of put together some pretty cool screening systems that I use, and I do some pre-pre-approval consulting for other lease option investors around the country to really help them say, hey, is this a good tenant buyer? Are they actually going to be able to get a mortgage? When will they be able to get a mortgage and make sure they do the paperwork right so when it gets to an underwriter that it should actually get approved. What type of paperwork is involved there? When you're purchasing on a lease option yeah. or when you're doing the contract for deed? When you're purchasing on a lease option. 
So when you're purchasing on a lease option, the two biggest things that I see other investors do that can trip you up is not using an escrow service or an escrow company or even a title company or an attorney. They just have a tenant buyer write the check out to them. Now, this is on a deal if you're assigning it, which a lot of folks are doing and a lot of people are teaching that, right? So if I say I'm going to buy your property, lease with an officer to purchase your property, and I turn around and assign it to a tenant buyer, and that tenant buyer comes in and cuts me the check instead of you or the escrow company or the title company or the attorney, right now everybody is fine and everything looks like it's going great and it's going to be a big explosion here in like two years or three years because the underwriter for the mortgage company is going to say, who the heck is this Jesse guy in the middle? I thought it was Joe buying Dee's house. Who's this Jesse guy? Who's his company? So it's got to be done right. So you want to make sure that the tenant buyer is cutting a check to, again, I've used a local attorney, which is awesome because they've done my contracts so that they know exactly what they're in for, what they're signing. I use their escrow account. I've used local title companies and or there's you know, national escrow services too. So that's probably one of the biggest things. I like to keep the lease and the option to purchase separate as well. And there's a few different reasons for that. Number one is if you need to go to court. Now, again, this, this doesn't always work out this way, of course, and I'm not an attorney giving legal advice, but it's often easier just to say, hey, here's a lease, right? If you're late on your lease, you're violating a lease agreement. That's nothing to do with the option of purchase. Can that be construed as an equitable mortgage? It certainly can sometimes, even if you do them separately. But if you combine them, it's a lot more likely to be misconstrued as you're doing an equitable mortgage. And then you get into those different types of rules and whether you get the down payment or really it's the option deposit to get that back or not. Big things I say are keep the two separate and then use a title company or an attorney or an escrow service for the transfer of the funds and the option deposit. In addition to what you've mentioned, what's one more maybe common mistake that you see investors make when they're putting together a transaction like that? The other probably biggest thing I see is they don't know why the tenant buyer can't get a mortgage and what the reasoning is. And that's really one of the biggest things. These days, with the way mortgage financing is, almost anybody can get a loan in three years. Even if you just went through a foreclosure a few months ago, I can get you an FHA loan here in three years from that date. So a lot of the time, it's just a kind of a black hole time frame that people are stuck in. If you had a bankruptcy, it's going to be X amount of years. If you had a short sale, it's going to be X amount of years. If you're new on your job, it's going to be X amount of years. The worst thing is if you have someone who's making $40,000 a year and trying to buy a $400,000 house, well, that's just not going to happen. <laughs> I mean, that's just simple math. You can't afford it now, and what's going to change to allow you to afford it? But the big thing is why, 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 why. So I've developed a 33-point checklist that I used with all of my tenant buyers and then with my clients, their tenant buyers, to really get to the heart of what happens. When people say we went through medical issues, there's not a lot more you need to tell me. Medical, no one can help that. Unless it's still ongoing and it's you weren't working two weeks ago because you're going through something horrible, if this was a year or two or three years ago and then all the dominoes hit, there's not much more you need to tell me. That's a great story. I mean, it's a horrible story, right? But it's a great story as far as why you have maybe poor credit and can't get a mortgage. Divorce. Divorce screws everybody. Pun intended. Divorce is bad. Job loss. Well, how long ago was the job? Well, I was out of a job for six months, but that was two and a half years ago, and then it hit the fan. So, okay, these are all great reasons. 
and just someone that I'm working with right now, I literally was going through her credit with her a week ago. And it says, okay, so tell me what happened. And she said, oh, yeah, my husband got laid off for a while. He got really sick. And some other things happened. I'm so sorry to hear that. Tell me a little bit more about it. Okay, when was this? Oh, this was in 2006. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm trying not to laugh. And I'm like, I think I actually kind of choked in my coffee for a second. I'm like, <clears throat> okay, so 2006, why didn't you pay your truck payment in November? Because I'm seeing 90 days past due on a credit report. If you're still hurting from that, we got to miss you. So a lot of folks just don't really peel back the onion. They don't get into it. If it's a good reason, bad reason. It makes sense. Does that make sense? And I've turned people down. And trust me, it sucks. But someone says, yeah, I got $10,000. I want this house. And I turn them down. That sucks. Like, God, I could have used that. And I want to help you. But you have literally no good excuse or reason why you can't pay your crap on time. And I know this is going to flake out. And I'm willing to take more risk if it's my own property and just some good ample cash flow. But if I'm working with a seller who is also my client that I've got a lease purchase arrangement with them that I can honor or assign, I'm not going to put someone in the house that I know is not going to make payments. I'm just not going to do that. And that kind of goes back to treating this like a business. Now, this isn't transactional. Do you want people to think of you two, three, four, five years down the road or you try to just do a bunch of deals right now and then get into a whole other line of work immorally? Jesse, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? Best real estate investing advice ever is you got to just get started. I talk to people every week, all the time, and they're reading and they're researching and listening, and that's great, but people put that up on a pedestal too much and they don't get started, they don't get going. You just got to start taking action. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Let's do this. All right, let's do this. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Are you an investor who self-manages, talks to your residents, collects checks, and handles all the day-to-day tasks? Well, there's a better way, best ever listener, and guess what? That better way is Secure Pay One. Secure Pay One, the landlord helper, will have conversations over the phone with your residents whenever there's an issue, and the residents can pay you directly. So schedule your free trial and 30-minute session today at mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. That's mylandlordhelper.com forward slash Joe. Feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth? Tune in to the newly launched REI Foundation podcast where hosts Jason and Peely give you all the steps and missteps towards achieving your investing dreams. Featuring interviews from top industry professionals, make sure you listen and subscribe to REI Foundation podcast at com. Best ever book you've read. I got to say Cashflow Quadrant. Love it. That's been appearing a lot recently from guests, Cashflow Quadrant. It's an oldie but a goodie. It always brings me back to the fact of, look, sometimes people get caught up in the day-to-day work, but it's all about passive income. It's all about getting to that business owner quadrant and that investor quadrant. And even if you're self-employed, you stop working, you're not making money. You got to think about that every day with everything you do. Best ever deal you've done. You know, it's funny. The deal I was mentioning earlier actually is probably one of my best deals because the first tenant buyer, unfortunately, did not buy. They backed out. They chose to back out. So I made 10000 on it. I've got another tenant buyer in there, made another 10000 on it. And with the market the way it is right now, we'll sell it for probably sixty to 70000 more than we bought it for. And I haven't spent more than probably $500 having to fix and repair it in two and a half years. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? 
I did not check if payments were being made as frequently as I should. And we had a clause that I could check at any time to see if he's making payments. And honestly, just got sidetracked, had too much going on for a few months, and he let the property go. So the deal ended up kind of going kaput. Luckily, I only put down $3,000 to control a $150,000 fourplex. So <laughs> I didn't lose anything, but I didn't make anything either. What's the best ever way you like to give back? I love to give back to new investors, new business owners who are struggling, who don't know where to get started, don't know the right steps to take to get going. Because honestly, I think one of the best things you can do is teach somebody how to better their own life and better their own position by giving them the skills and the resources to get started. How can the best ever listeners get in touch with you? The best way would probably be on Instagram, the Jesse Mills, or on Facebook, Jesse Mills. Jesse, thank you for being on the show. And wow, this was a kind of a crash course on seller financing and how to structure the deals, how to do seller financing 2.0, so buying it on a contract for deed and being able to qualify. One of the things that you're focused on is making sure that you pre-qualify the people prior. And you said you have that 33-point checklist and love hearing about how you structure this, the intricacies of it, and the risks as well as the benefits associated to it. So Jesse, thanks for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Hey man, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Look forward to talking again. Feeling lost on your roadmap to wealth? Tune in to the newly launched REI Foundation podcast where hosts Jason and Peely give you all the steps and missteps towards achieving your investing dreams. Featuring interviews from top industry professionals, make sure you listen and subscribe to REI Foundation podcast at com.